Peace Corps gives us a chance to show a side of our country which is too often submerged. Our desire to live in peace, our desire to be of help. There can be no greater service to our country and no source of pride more real than to be a member of the Peace Corps of the United States. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the episode of the My Peace Corps Story podcast. I'm your host, Tyler Lloyd, and I'm here to help tell the stories of current and returned Peace Corps volunteers. If you like what you hear today, be sure to connect with me over at Instagram at My Peace Corps Story, on Facebook by searching for My Peace Corps Story, and as always, over over at MyPeaceCorpsStory.com. And last week, I offered my book at a discount... Thank you guys for everybody who purchased the book. It means a lot to me. It helps support the show and allow me to have the money to keep doing this show and telling the stories of current and returned Peace Corps volunteers. So once again, for all of you who purchased my book last week at the discounted price, thank you. I hope you enjoy it. I look forward to hearing and reading your feedback. So be sure to, to let me know over at Amazon or if you want to reach me directly, you guys know how to do it. On this week's episode, I have a, a, a very interesting story, a, a great story that I'm excited to, to tell uh, because I reached out to someone who I saw on Instagram and said, hey, I see you're a return Peace Corps volunteer. I like what you're doing. Do you want to come on the show? And she agreed. So this week, I'm going to talk to Nia, who is the brainchild creator of Born a Backpacker, a website that tells parents how to travel with their kids so you don't have to give up that dream of adventure. Here, without further ado, it's her story. This is this is this is this is my my Peace Corps Peace Corps my Peace Corps my Peace Corps story story story. My name is Nia Chauvin and this is my Peace Corps story. Hey Nia, how are you doing? Hi, how are you? Doing well and excited to talk with you because like me, uh, you are interested in uh, blogging, sort of online content creation, uh, which really excites me. And hopefully we're going to get into that at the end of the episode uh, or towards the end and and talk about what you're currently doing with your uh, amazing blog, Born a Backpacker. But first and foremost, here to talk about your Peace Corps service. So start off by letting everybody know a little bit about you and where you served in the Peace Corps. Um, yeah, I'm definitely, like I said, when, when you first reached out to me, I, you have me at Peace Corps. So anything Peace Corps related, I'm, I'm very happy to, to talk about and, you know, divulge everything. So, um, I'm happy that you reached out. Um, so I served, it seems like a long, long time ago, um, in 2007 to 2009 in Mozambique, which is in, uh, Southern Africa, um, on the East coast. And I was a English teacher. I was fresh out of college, so (laughs) I didn't really have any, um, much life experience at that point. Um, so I was, I was an English teacher in a Northern province in the country. The country is, is long all along the coast. And so it's broken up into three different, um, regions and so I was more in the north um yeah so I lived in a in a small town um and you know did did my teaching gig but it was it was difficult and something brand new and I I felt early on that it was hard to make change and and really um, do what I wanted to do with my students having 70 to 100 students in a class. So I feel like a lot of my service was doing secondary projects. Um, so I, I really went full on into my secondary projects um, in Mozambique. So. And, and what were those secondary projects? Um, one of the, my main secondary projects and the ones where the one where I had the most impact um, was a nationwide initiative started by Peace Corps volunteers a few years before I had joined Peace Corps. Um, 
it's called Jovens Pada Mudanza EXO. Um, and that basically was used for change in action. And it focused on um, boys, high school boys, and through different modes of communication, whether it be art, um, photojournalism, journalism, theater. And I believe there was one other, but now it's been almost 10 years, so I'm forgetting. Um, we, the Peace Corps volunteers, had their own individual groups at their own sites, and we taught them, you know, healthy masculinity, gender equality, um, ways to prevent HIV and AIDS, and and just, you know, how to all around be a good person and, and be a good role model to others. And we used different these different modes of communication to express to the public. So I personally, I, I love art. So I started an art group <clears throat> in my school, and I had about 15 students that we would meet. Um, by my second year, we were meeting almost every day, just discussing different topics um, of what I just said, HIV, healthy masculinity, things like that. Um, and then they'd express what they've learned on paper. And many times we created ideas for murals that we put around in our community, um, surrounding towns, even in our provincial capital. Um, and so it was just an amazing experience because these boys, primarily, uh, towards the end, I had one girl in my group. Um, but they just really got a chance to discuss that sort of thing, and which which is rare, and which they didn't really have a chance to do otherwise. And they also like art, and this is a place where they never had art classes. They never used crayons or markers or paint or anything along those lines. So having it created, it was really important to them. I had an 18-year-old student that had never even learned his colors because it was just their art classes in, in school were designed and it's all by ruler and just being very by the books, meticulous, um, you know, learning angles and things like that and not, not um, using their creative energy and putting it down on paper. So overall, it was just a really incredible experience and there's, I wonder if they're still there, but there's murals that, you know, that will live on for years and years in these places that the students were just really proud of. We did a mural in our school, we did a mural um, in the market, and just to see these kids feeling so empowered and, you know, sending their messages of what they've learned and putting it for their, their whole town to see was just really empowering for them. So it was a really important group for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I, I can't say that I re regret anything from my Peace Corps service, but I could almost say that I regret not doing murals in my community and, and leaving some sort of like physical uh, remembrance of myself. I, Absolutely. I love art, uh, love drawing, but I, I never did any murals and I wish I did that. But I did have a lot of opportunities to connect uh, with young boys. I had a karate club and it seems like similar to what you were doing. It was like the first time where they could talk about a lot of these things and have opportunities to really express themselves and explore these ideas. Was there anything that surprised you? Um or that you were happy to see as you were talking to these these young men about what they were thinking about with regards to their life and their future? I think what surprised me most of, of when we started discussing um, these topics was first the misinformation that they had on HIV and AIDS um, and preventing it and just what they've learned throughout their lives about it. Um, that was a little startling in a way. Um, and also the way that a lot of these boys viewed women in general. Um, you know, there's, there's one thing to have that expectation. Okay. The woman takes care of 
the baby takes care of the household, cooks, cleans, does all that stuff. And I, you know, I'll work and make the money. Um, but it's another thing to just view those jobs as equal. And that's what, you know, gender equality is about. Um, so I, I just think the way they would talk about women was, and, and these were really good kids. Um, it's just the culture that they grew up in and that's, that's fine. Um, and gender equality uh, is an important topic. Um, and sometimes it's hard as a Westerner coming in saying a woman's role is to, to clean the house and to take care of the kids um, because that's obviously not how I view women. Um, but gender equality was more about like, okay, let's view these jobs as equal then and that women are equal. <laughs> and, um, I think, I think those two were the, the most surprising about what, you know, what they've learned in their culture. Mm-hmm. And then now, since this is the the My Peace Corps Story podcast, I'd like to get into a little bit more of, I guess, the stories of your service. And this is always a hard question for people, but do you have a favorite story or a story that comes to mind or a story that you you find yourself telling over and over again? You said it's almost been 10 years since you left the Peace Corps. What are one of those stories that you like to tell that is just a, a good, happy memory from your time in Mozambique? That's a a difficult question to answer. Um, <laughs> there were so many incredible, incredible experiences. Um, I can't just give one because two stories deserve <laughs> um, deserve being told. First, uh, my husband and I met now uh, eleven years ago um, in the Peace Corps. We met in training in. And from there, we we built a relationship and we're together through Peace Corps. And now, 11 years later, we have um, we have a beautiful son and we have also a baby on the way. <laughs> so uh, just meeting my person in Peace Corps, which was such an important time for both of us, where we both grew, um, just to have a partner in life that that experienced that with me. Uh, obviously we were in different towns and at one point we were very, very far away from each other, almost 10 days of traveling. Um, he ended up having to move for security reasons and he moved closer to me. Um, but just having a partner that understands people has such a love for Mozambique and is just really important. So that's one one story, one memory, one part of Peace Corps that is just beautiful, and I'm I'm so grateful for. Um, and the other is, <laughs> I usually <laughs> I, I I have a hard time telling the story without tearing up, so I'll try not to <laughs> tear up. Um, but I first started teaching ninth grade when I was in Peace Corps, and like I said my classrooms were had 70 to I'd say a hundred kids. And, you know, I had multiple different classes, so I had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of students. So obviously in that case, it's, it's hard for people to stand out. Um, and the majority of those students were male. Um, so I just had this one student, her name is Lilat. And she just stood out. She was very, usually the, the girls in the class would hang in the back. They would be very shy, very nervous to speak up. The males would dominate the class. Um, and she just carried herself so confidently. Um, she was so smart. She was always my smartest student, always got the best grades. Um, and just a beautiful, wonderful person all around. She just, you know, exuded light. <laughs> She's just one of those people that you can tell upon meeting her that something is special about her. Um, and so for two years, we, we grew closer and closer. 
And she was part, she was actually, I, I mentioned that there was one girl in, in my art group and she was that girl. She was actually one of the leaders of it. Um, and we just got very close. And towards the end of my service, I was realizing this girl has so much potential. She's so wonderful. She can go so far, but not here and not in the small town. And the chances of her becoming just a statistic of like, (laughs) you know, having babies or, you know, not going on to, um, not going on to further her education were very high. Um, it's not likely that women go on to, to study in college or anything like that. So I just felt the pressure to do something to not just leave her there to give her more opportunity. So it was perfect that, um, and I don't know if you've heard of the African Leadership Academy. It's mm-hmm. based in South Africa. Yeah, it was um, It was actually pretty new. I think it had opened a year or two, maybe in 2009. So it was It was pretty new. And, you know, a piece of volunteer sent out a mass email of, hey, I just heard of this, um, this academy. Um, if you have students, you should apply. And so I was like, this is perfect for her um and so we started filling out the application and found that there was a lot of red tape um just for example we had to get her primary primary school grades and I remember going back to the primary school office and talking to the administration I mean these are like it's just like one person in a small school. It's like a dusty little school. Um, but I remember talking to the administration and saying, you know, this is the school that we're applying to. We just need her transcript. <clears throat> and, you know, they'd open the book and I just needed her grades and I'd see her grades. I would just need a piece of paper with, you know, a signature and a stamp on it that said these are her grades. And they made us jump through hoops they made us you know go to the municipal's office to um to get a signature on this and i remember having to go to the provincial capital which was a few hours away to do this and you know printing isn't easy so it's just everything and i i felt like it was because she was a girl seeking higher education and that was just my perception of it but i i couldn't believe how how many times like, we had to go back and forth with all these official documents just to get her grades written on a piece of paper and stamped. Um, but so it, it took a lot of effort on, on both of our parts and her just determination to, to get into this academy that finally we sent in her application. And <laughs> amazingly, I mean, this is, these are students all over Africa that apply to go to this academy and they only take a small selection of, of students and she got accepted. Um, and at the time of leaving her, <laughs> it's a little embarrassing because I was an English teacher for the two years, but she spoke very basic English, just um, conversational back and forth a little bit. Um, and this school was all in English. And so... She had an intensive six-week course to learn English, learned it fluently somehow in that time because she's so smart, Uh, and then all of a sudden was taking economics courses, leadership courses, you know, all her courses in English and doing wonderfully. She went there for two years, um, got a full scholarship to a university in Costa Rica to get her... um, agricultural engineering degree um and we actually went me my husband and our son who was six months old went to her graduation there and it was one of the proudest moments of my life seeing her graduate this girl um from a small small town in Mozambique um with all the odds against her is what it seems um just through her own intelligence and her own drive, just getting that far, graduating and having a passion. She's like, now I'm going to go back to Mozambique and make it better now. And that's just, sorry. 
<laughs> but that is um, just to see that progression. And actually, we just found out that um, we're having a baby girl, and we'll probably name it after her. If 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 we have a girl with that much, you know, drive and determination and just like internal beauty, I will be so grateful. So. Um, that is definitely one of my success stories, one of my just proudest, biggest accomplishments in my life to just see that and help her through these stages of, of her life. And now, you know, have her be in Mozambique and a good job. She's working in the city and going out to see small scale farmers and helping them. Um, it's just, it's just really cool to see. <laughs> well, I'm I'm tearing up as well just hearing that that beautiful story. Thank you for sharing it, it with us. And what an amazing experience to to be a, to be a part of that and to to help her along and be there to help her navigate the the, the red tape of trying to apply for an opportunity that you know really just set her on a path and un- unleashed her potential because i always have to wonder about you know these programs that are they only the you know the elites of these countries the people who have the means to navigate this stuff and it's so amazing to hear uh that it's it's not only the the elites the upper middle class uh upper class that are able to to do something like this that you were able to work with her and really help her realize her potential uh so so thank you for sharing uh, such an amazing story oh yeah thank you for letting me share and tear up on your podcast <laughs> you you would would Aren't not be <laughs> you would not be the first person you will not be the the last person uh, because <laughs> peace peace corps brings out all the emotions uh the good tears and uh the sad tears as well and that's something i would also like to explore you know the the harder things uh of your service is was there anything that you experienced in your service that was difficult but that you didn't think would be difficult. Um, a lot of times, you know, as we're mentally preparing uh, to go abroad, we're trying to brace ourselves for food, uh, living conditions. Maybe it's the heat, uh, the cold. If you end up in a country like Mongolia or places in Eastern Europe, high in the Andes mountains, uh, transport. You know, those are the things we kind of know uh, are, are going to be difficult. What was something that you experienced in Peace Corps that was difficult that you didn't expect uh, going in? So I went into Peace Corps as a 22-year-old, as I said, um, fresh out of college. I was so idealistic and so, excuse me, so, yeah, just idealistic and, and... thought that I was going to, you know, lift all of Mozambique out of poverty and like (laughs) solve all their problems. Um, And I honestly never thought about the negatives because I was just like, I can take any, any negative, like any negative thing. It won't be negative. It will be great. Whatever I eat, you know, the heat, the whatever I'm strong, I can do it. Um, So honestly, I don't even think I'm mentally prepared for having a hard experience which is like so crazy looking back on it now because it was by far it was the best some of the best two I have a son so I can't say the best some of the best (laughs) two years of my life um but it was the hardest uh by far on so in so many ways um but I think what surprised me most and what I really wasn't expecting was how difficult it was to make adult friends um just because of the culture there and as a woman especially an an american woman um all my colleagues were males except maybe one um and so everyone that i had you know a professional relationship were all males and that means that that's you know the adults who I met for the most part. Um, 
But to have a relationship with a man in Mozambique as a girl living by herself, um, people could talk. Um, there are a lot, the men are a little more aggressive in, in how they approach you, not physically, but in just the way they speak. So I felt uncomfortable becoming friends and, you know, going to the local bar and having drinks with them and, you know, hanging out with them because it, it looks bad on you. And my job was to <clears throat> work with students and, and be there for them and be their role model. Um, and so I found it difficult to ever break that barrier of anything beyond a professional relationship. <clears throat> and then because I didn't see women on, on a professional level and, they also viewed me, I feel like American women in a way, in at least in Mozambique, we were almost a different gender. And so women couldn't totally relate to me. And it was hard to just be friends with a man. So I felt like it was hard to make um, adult friendships with, with Mozambicans. I feel like it's a silver lining because I put all of my time and all of my energy into my students and into their well-being and into teaching them. And, um, you know, after school, they would come and sit in my veranda and, you know, we'd either have the Joma group or other students would come and we'd just talk or so every day they were, they would come over and that's how my time was spent. So, <clears throat> and honestly, <laughs> I was like 22, 23, 24 by the time I left and they were, a lot of my students were 16, 17, 18, so there wasn't that huge of a, a gap, um, but it's still significant when it's a teacher-student relationship. But still, I was able to to just spend my time with them and, and you know, ha be a role model for them um, than, you know, have these relationships with other adults. Um, and I, I guess that was, that was the most difficult thing for me, to just always, always be viewed as, I don't know, just either not not an equal from the other women or not not someone that they men could maybe just be friends with without you know making making advances and again, not physical advances, but um just be very upfront on you know I'm sure you've heard like, oh, I want to marry you or you know that that sort of that sort mm -hmm. of thing so it it was just I guess that was the hardest, but again then I just got to spend more time with my students. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's always different, difficult and interesting trying to navigate the, those relationships with people in your communities. Uh, I guess I did have it a little bit easier being being a man. You know, they always do say that women are kind of this, this third gender uh, that can go both ways. Uh, you know, it can benefit you that you get to do things and be invited to things uh, that women normally wouldn't be invited to, uh, but also that has a negative side to it as well, that it can uh, sort of lead to this awkward dichotomy that you can't really make friends with women, and then you're hesitant to make friends with men. Most of my friends uh, were actually like 40 and 50-year-old men, because all the men that were my age were out working. They were out working in the fields and they had mm -hmm. families and I couldn't relate to them. Uh, cause yeah, I was, I was young as well. I was right. a few, I was a few years removed from undergrad, but I mean, what did, what did I know? <laughs> uh, right. Right. Yeah. Just being thrown into that situation. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, what, what is something that you, you learned in Peace Corps that you've taken with you and you have a, a passion for, for travel and adventure? I don't know if that was something that was born in, in the Peace Corps, if you had had much uh, opportunity to travel prior to Peace Corps or, or if Peace Corps was something that kind of refined uh, your ability to travel. Because once you once you do Peace Corps, I, I feel that most Peace Corps volunteers like, oh, yeah, I'll, I can go anywhere now. Once you've once you've done it at that level and being able to navigate uh, kind of like a local, never truly like a local, but as close as one can get uh, without being of the place. So what is what is something that you really learned and took away from your Peace Corps experience? Travel is definitely a big one. Um, 
and not just on a superficial level, but really getting in and understanding other cultures and learning their food and their struggles and, you know, their activities and, and just every piece of travel. Um, so that's definitely something that I've, I've, I had it a little bit before, but it's something that grew and became almost a passion of mine um, in the Peace Corps. And <laughs> I kind of laugh sometimes because it almost, it didn't ruin travel for me, but sometimes it's hard if you go like for two weeks to visit a place, how deep can you get into the culture and and understand it? Um, <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, I yearn for like, living in a place like that and and I think it's hard because Peace Corps is such a unique experience it's hard to recreate that no matter what you do um so so travel is is definitely one thing I think another thing that I um that I took from Peace Corps that still lives on is my critique and criticism of of international organizations working in the developing world Um, I'm just very skeptical of a lot of them because I saw a lot of projects and things, um, throughout my time in Mozambique go wrong or a lot of wasted money, um, and not, not even my community, but just what I observed in my Peace Corps experience. Um, so I actually, after Peace Corps, I... I was looking for jobs working in Sub-Saharan Africa, but based in New York. And I, and I was looking for, you know, working for nonprofits. And it was very difficult because I was very, very critical of each organization, which I think is a good thing. I think we should hold um, international organizations to very high standards. And um, so, but it, it made it, it makes it difficult to find uh, an organizations and um, institutions working in in the developing world and um, you know I have to do a lot of research before I choose to support them so that was another thing but I, I do think that's a good thing um, of what I've taken away from from my time in in the Peace Corps those are, are two very good things uh a better refined way of traveling. I I also feel the same way, you know, now that I have a, a regular job, you know, two weeks, maybe three weeks is the most that I can ever dedicate at the moment, you know, to a trip. And yeah, Peace Corps almost does kind of ruin it. It one you want you want that cultural experience that you really can't get in just a few weeks. And also it it kind of removes a lot of places from my travel because I don't I don't want to go to those tourist destinations because I feel that they have a, a giant facade built up that I really want to get into the off the beaten path uh, places and end up in those roadside restaurants with locals. So I can definitely uh, relate there. And yeah, it does make you more critical of of international development organizations, but also just a lot of things in general. Um, you start to, to question uh, what's actually going on uh, then Peace Corps definitely uh, helps you see the world in, in, a, in a different way, and I think a better way. But focusing on on your travel, uh, you now you now have a child. You have a, another one on the way. Uh, most of the people who listen to this podcast are uh, going into Peace Corps, in Peace Corps, just removed from Peace Corps. But I do know, I do have listeners that do have kids, young kids. Uh, some have uh, older older kids, but the, the majority the majority of the listeners are, are are kidless. But I think that they they're kind of fearful of the the one day of when that time comes <laughs> and they start to have a family that now they have to hang up the backpack. There is no more adventure. They've got to table it for a good eighteen to twenty years. Then once the kids go off to college, then they can start it up again, but uh, they more or less have to lock their passport up and just uh, be, be a parent now. And you have rejected that. You've said, no, that is not the way I want to live myself personally, and it's not the way that I want my kids to grow up. And 
I absolutely love that because that is one thing I do. Ha- I do have that little fear of, man, I got to get my travels in now because in a few years, it's not going to happen. Uh, and, and, and you give me hope. So I'm going to uh, I'm going to shut up <laughs> and let you talk about what you're doing uh, w- <laughs> with your project Born a Backpacker. So let us know about uh, your blog, social media presence, and all the great work that you're doing, uh, traveling with your son and then soon-to-be daughter? Yeah, when I first became pregnant with my son, um, two, I guess now three years ago, um, I was getting a lot of comments on, all right, well, you know, your days of traveling are kind of over, you know. People would say that a lot, like, oh, once you're once you have a kid, you can't do the stuff that you were doing before, because after Peace Corps, um, you know, for however many years, seven years after I was still traveling a lot to primarily probably only the developing world and, you know, still (laughs) going on open back trucks and things like that. Um, So you're not going to be able to backpack and do that sort of thing anymore. And. I kind of believed it. I was like, Oh my God. It's and then I I had a baby and I luckily have um a group of uh, two friends who were actually a married couple in Peace Corps, um that that are, are really good friends and they had kids before us and, and they would they continued traveling and they've been an inspiration to me as a parent. Um and so luckily I had them to see and say, okay, they're still traveling. They're still going to places. And um, so it's it's possible. Why are these people telling me it's not possible? Um, and so from the beginning, I mean, we're, we're an outdoorsy family as well. So when our son was six weeks old, we went and did um, – a camping trip all around Maine and slept in our tent most nights. And and then when they were six months old, like I said, we went to Costa Rica. And as I started doing it, I'm like, why are people telling me I can't do this? This is, um, this is not just like somewhat easy, but it's fun and it's almost better. People are very open to travelers with babies. Um, I don't know, most people melt at the sight of a baby. So uh, it just opened us up to uh, um, a new way of traveling and just people opened up their homes more than usual than they would to just a couple traveling around. Um, And so it's just an interesting idea that once you have kids, you, you have to stop traveling and, um, it's just, as I said before, it's traveling is so important to me. It's a passion. It's part of me. Um, and to give that up is, is almost not an option. And not only selfishly, but I want to give my son the world. I want to show him the world. I want to show him other cultures. I want to uh, raise a adaptable kid who's open-minded, who's understanding of other cultures and other food and other ways of living um it's just that's really important to me um (coughs) excuse me um and that's that's what i want to give my son as a mother and so traveling has become a way of raising him and a way of him you know learning other languages he like you know every every place we go he learns a couple words in, in the language and um, I mean, at this point, we went to Sri Lanka, I think in February of this year, and yeah, it's been months and months, and he's small, so his memory isn't that robust, but he talks about Sri Lanka all the time. If he goes on a toy train, okay, where are you going? He goes, Sri Lanka, or <laughs> if, we're, if we're going on an airplane, where do you think we're going? We're going to Sri Lanka to see the elephants, or, you know, so just having it start to absorb like when he was younger, when he was six months old, obviously he's not going to remember that, but um, he's starting to understand different cultures and, and remember places. 
uh, so it's just, it's a really cool way of raising a kid. And I hope soon we can, we can travel even more than we have, but, um, I just, I couldn't imagine raising my kid in a different way, losing part of myself, losing that love for travel and not the love for travel, but actually traveling and just not giving it to my son. So I, the backpacks do not have to be hung up, (laughs) keep them and get one for your kid once you have them. That's what I need to tell everyone that's, that's scared to have kids. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was just going through your your website, which one is just very well laid out. So thank you for uh, putting together a very good website. I always appreciate that. Uh, oh, well, thank you. <laughs> a, a lot of good content on there. You know, you got sort of packing list recommendations and how you you explain that you you don't have to bring everything <laughs> that you own with you. That uh, you're you're going to a place, and I, I make this exact same recommendation. I for my my Peace Corps packing list, you're you're going to a place where people live, where there are kids. You can buy things there. They will have things. Uh, it's maybe a little bit different if you were going into remote wilderness, but you can, you can get stuff. It's like you bought uh, a jacket in Sri Lanka, right? Uh, that you mm-hmm. you've in, forgotten in Vietnam. Mm-hmm. Oh, Vietnam, okay. Yeah. Uh, do you have any other good travel tips when when traveling with, with a child, or maybe like what's a, a like a quick list of things that maybe people wouldn't think about. Yeah, I'm a minimalist at heart. So so my packing list is really smaller than a lot of parents, but um, (laughs) I just, I think the most important thing um, is a a med kit. And I actually have a med kit on my website of, of what to bring when you, when you're traveling with a child. Um, Because yes, there are, you can buy things when you're, when you're in places. But for example, also that trip to Vietnam, we found ourselves in the middle of a jungle in like the smallest village, a boat ride away from, from anything. Um, and it didn't even, I don't even know. It had a very small store with like sodas and candy and bread or something. Um, and in the middle of the night, Zay came, or my son Zay, he came down with a pretty high fever. And so in that case, it's really good to have medication. So we had um, children's ibuprofen and Tylenol, which broke his fever for the time being. And then, you know, we got out of there the next day to make sure that we were around medical facilities just in case the fever got worse, which it didn't. Um so I would say the number one thing is 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 a small med kit. Um, but other than that, like I think less is more, especially if you're traveling with a backpack. The clothes that you bring can be washed. So I always bring some sort of either detergent, like powder detergent, or the small Dr. Bronner's soap um, and a string, um, so we can just wash a few shirts if we need to of his and hang them up. So they're dry the next day <laughs> because I don't like bringing a lot of luggage. I like bringing, you know, exactly what we need. Um, and so I think people often overpack clothes and, you know, I don't mind if my kid is a little bit dirty. <laughs> so He doesn't need to be spotless all the time because, you know, he's a kid. So, um, I would just say the med kit is important. Um, and then, you know, just your bare minimum of clothes. And again, there's a packing list, like you said, on my website that's downloadable and you can, you know, check things off as you pack them. Um, and then, yeah, just your necessities, your, your sunscreen, a hat to protect you from the sun. Um, Thing, things along those lines, but I'm such a less is more kind of person. <laughs> uh, but yeah, again, the specifics are all on my website of, of, of what I recommend to bring. Those, those are some good things to pack. And I, I think I might also uh, copy some of them for myself because, he, you know, I have also the same medical needs. So it's always good to have a little checklist of things to bring because uh, adults 
get high fevers as well and find themselves in remote places where you can only buy uh, candy and soda. So those are also good things for anybody, not just people traveling right. with with kids. And so born a backpacker, uh, we were talking just a little bit before we formally got into the interview, and this is uh, what you're really focusing on right now, in addition to also, you know, having 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 a family uh, but this is kind of what you're trying to turn into the full-time job uh, we were talking a little bit about the dream of being digital nomads and and being able to create your own hours and construct a life that is filled with enriching experiences can you tell us a little bit about that journey for you it's just starting born a backpacker and working towards uh, this financial freedom and flexibility and, and how you and your husband are are navigating that as you, you work towards uh, this goal? Yeah, so um, I, I am working towards becoming a digital nomad. And uh, for those that don't know the term, it's just basically being able to work from anywhere with Wi-Fi, um, from your computer so you can travel the world if you want and you know have work at your fingertips at your computer um, so that's definitely the goal that we're working towards um, and again like I said traveling is really important to not just be me but my family um, but just our our family situation my husband has been is a is a physician and so basically since Peace Corps um, for the last say, nine years, um, he's been in either medical school or in residency. Um, so, and now we're working towards paying off his, his med school loan. So for the meantime, we've been based in the United States and unable to travel for really long periods of time. Um, but hopefully he'll, he'll pay off his loan soon and we'll, we'll have, more financial freedom to travel and to work from, at least for me, to work from my computer. Jamie, obviously, as a physician, can't work from his computer. Um, and and travel and show our son and hopefully better um, the world. So what I'm working on is currently the blog as you mentioned and you know people laugh at me it's such a dream you know to be paid to travel it's like the dream um so it takes a lot of hard work and determination and snickers from people <laughs> laughing at you thinking that it can't be it's a dream that can't be realized but um there are a lot of there are some traveling families and and solo travelers um, out there that are making a living and thanks to Instagram and social media in general and blogging being um, such a large space um, now it's it's definitely possible so starting this blog and I'm working towards you know making money off of it enabling my family to travel off of the income from it <laughs> and then also use other talents of mine. Um, I'm, I also do graphic design. So that's another, um, thing that I can do freelance on the side to earn money. And again, all you need is your computer and Wi-Fi, and you can do it from anywhere. So, <clears throat> um, yeah, just building up born a backpacker and, and other, other areas that I can do, um, to be to be able to be mobile and and make money is is what we're working towards and hopefully we get there sooner rather than later <laughs> um, because I'm I'm itching to go on you know a big trip and travel the world with with our young kids so 
Well, I wish you the best of luck because that is also an eventual dream of mine. Uh, so you can uh, navigate the path for me. Uh, sorry that you have to have to figure it out, but I'll, I look to people like you who are a little bit farther along on on their journey to to realizing this kind of dream and being able to have those experiences. So I look forward to staying connected with you and watching your journey and, and traveling with your your growing family and building born a backpacker. I've had a blast talking with you today. Before we wrap up the show, is there anything else you want to tell the listeners of the My Peace Corps Story podcast? Just thank you for listening to my story. And um, again, travel doesn't have to end once you have kids. It's, it's honestly better, I would say, traveling with a child than it has been um, just me and my husband so on our own or even me by myself just traveling with our son and seeing the world through a young person's eyes is maybe the coolest thing that you can experience um so yeah your traveling life isn't over necessarily if you have kids so so don't be scared of it <laughs> thank you very much for for telling a, a few of your stories. I know there have to be countless uh, stories from your Peace Corps service talking about Born a Backpacker. And to close out the show, something that I la- like to ask uh, people who come on the show is a favorite local uh, saying, phrase, because I I didn't really appreciate language as much as I should have before entering into Peace Corps. could never really speak another language other than English and maybe uh, poor redneck English being from Kentucky, uh, <laughs> but I, I, I fell in love with languages and I, and I love to hear, uh, other people speak the languages that they learned while in Peace Corps. So do you have a favorite, uh, local saying or phrase that you would like to share? Oh, there are many, but I'm, I'm going to have to go with estamos juntos, which is just what everyone says. We are together. Um, everyone says that in Mozambique, um, when you leave at any point, <laughs> so we are together. That's what it translates. We to. are together. Yeah, we are together. Well, that is a perfect way to end your episode. We are together. Thank you again for coming <laughs> on and I hope we stay in touch. Yeah. Thank you so much. And there you have it. Another episode of the, my peace Corps story podcast. Guys, I reached out to Nia and this turned out to be an excellent episode. If you know other people who I should interview, drop me a line, connect us, say, hey, Tyler, I know of this person who has a great story. Uh, You should reach out to them. I love getting those types of emails. In the past week, I have actually received two. So if you could help me to continue to produce this show. If you know of a small business or a blogger, photographer, videographer, uh, someone out there doing social justice work, an amazing teacher, uh, anybody, anybody who you think is absolutely amazing, who's a return Peace Corps volunteer and has a story worth telling, let me know. Because it is only with your help and your suggestions that I can continue to do this podcast. So thank you guys for supporting me. Thank you guys for all that you do. And until next time, remember, every volunteer has a story. What's yours?